This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hey everyone, it's Morgan Lee. You're listening to Quick to Listen. I'm an assistant editor here, and today my co-host is Richard Clark. Hey Morgan, great to be here. Why are you here? I'm here because I am a guest co-host, kind of, here with our very special guest, Caitlin Beatty. We decided to have Caitlin Beatty on as a guest, as opposed to a host. Why did we do that? I think it's Caitlin's last week. It's Caitlin's last week at Quick to Listen, and soon to be last week at Christianity Today. Caitlin... We're going to miss you. I know. Caitlin is already knows that. So our job here is done. But we wanted to talk a little bit, I think, together about, I'm going to say, Caitlin's legacy. Whoa. And also just the time period that you were here. You were here at a pretty crucial time period for CT. I don't know about crucial, but the last 10 years, a long period of time, and you saw a lot. You have a lot to say about what you saw i assume yeah i mean in addition to being ct's first podcast host right yeah (laughs) that's true caitlin was also the first female managing editor that we had on the print side and she was also the youngest managing editor that we had and caitlin how many years did you do that for i was the print managing editor for four years before that i oversaw hermeneutics and a project called This Is Our City. And before that, I was a copy editor. So I think we'll probably drill you about all those different projects, especially the copy editing stories. How do you spell advisor? I know. It's always with an E. Advisor with an O is obsolete. It says it in the Chicago style and the CT style guide. Whoa, my mind is blown. I have a question. When you started, did you anticipate being the first host of a podcast? You know, I didn't foresee that in my future. What would you have said if someone said that? that If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) He'll say, ha-ha. Actually. Wow. Is that how God sounds in your head? No, I better not speculate about that. (laughs) Good call. So, obviously, Caitlin's big thing that she worked on was our print publication. So, this is, of course, my cue to remind everyone to subscribe to our print magazine. We offer redemptive and honest coverage of people, events, and ideas that are shaping the church and culture. And you can leave us some feedback if we don't, preferably not on Facebook, though. And as a subscriber to our publication, you're going to get 10 issues every single year. You get full access to ChristianityToday.com, which has lots of content on it. That dates back to 1956, and that is also available there. If you haven't noticed, that was 60 years ago. So we have 60 years of content that's available there for listeners of this podcast, you can get a year-long subscription for $10. So head over to orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. That is $10 a year. Uh, make sure you use that particular URL and you will get the $10 code. And if they subscribe now, they'll, they'll, they'll have done so in time for your sign-off issue. Yeah, the November print issue is my final front-to-back issue. There's a profile of Ann Voskamp that I wrote in there along with a really interesting article about the Enneagram personality assessment tool mm-hmm. and a cover story about some pretty amazing growth among Christians in India. Did you do anything in there that was like, I'm leaving? Well, I need to write that this afternoon. There will be a special... Really? You haven't written it yet? I mean, I haven't been spending the last 
few months figuring out my swan song. Well, that's where you went wrong. <laughs> By the way, the Ann Voskamp profile is really good, everybody. So, Caitlin, we thought that we'd take the time to bring you in here to your own show, essentially. <laughs> it's good to be back. And kind of get a sense of your career and evangelicalism at large in the past 10 years. So let's start with talking about three articles that you felt were really meaningful to you and to our movement during this time. Well, right around the time that I started as print managing editor, we ran a cover story, which was it was one of the first that I remember of like a big roundup with a nice number in the title. We know that readers always like articles with numbers in the title. And that was 50 Women You Should Know. So that was actually written by my former colleague, Sarah Pulliam Bailey. It took her, I think, over a year to do all the research and get all the quotes. She spent a year on just like doing research and getting quotes for that one piece? Yeah, because she she did some on the ground research to get the names. It okay. wasn't just hand selected, right. but it was, you know, it's consulting leaders in the evangelical world to get those names. Okay. And so anyway, I, I only had some influence over the direction of it, but to me that was that was kind of a watershed cover story for C T. And I still see a lot of women who are on that list reference it. Like I was one of the I was on Christianity Today's list of fifty women you should know. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say that was that corresponded with hermeneutics growing visibility and really establishing itself as a core part of CT's mission and voice. Can you just say a little bit about hermeneutics, just for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with that vertical? Yeah, it was started in 2009 by me and Sarah, who I just mentioned. Um, We played around with the title Miss Eology, (laughs) and that was quickly shot down. It's amazing. <laughs> That's weird. That's weird that one was shot down and then this other one wasn't. They're both just like clever plays on words. Well, the one that, the reason that the other one was shot down is because someone felt like it sounded too much like Miss Magazine, which is oh, okay. a mainstream feminist mm. organization and magazine. But, you know, the word hermeneutics has the word men in it. So we felt more comfortable with that. It's good as long as there's a balance there in your title. <laughs> Yes. And then someone else asked when we launched it, as long as you feature men on a regular basis, I think it's good. Do they really? I hope yep. that's a joke. I, it is not a joke, but... Do you feature men? Does hermeneutics feature men on a regular basis? We have published a handful of male writers, but I would say the bar is particularly high, you know? Yeah. For a male writer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, started in 2009. We It really grew organically. Um, within the first couple of years, we had a stable of you know regular like 15 to 20 writers. More recently, and recently meaning literally today, we launched CT Women, which is a new vertical on CT's main website. It's essentially kind of building on the best of our two previous women's brands, Hermeneutics and TCW. I think readers of Hermeneutics will feel like it's very similar, but CT women will will have more chances to do original reporting, to do longer essays. We'll have more devotional content, which is not something that CT Magazine has done a lot of, but I think there is a way to do devotional content in a very CT-ish way. And that that really is, you know, the, the baby, now the baby. Some of, sort of like poetry in this Launch of something new. That's right. Yeah. Hermeneutics is sort of... Uh, Dying. Sunsetting. Oh. No. Sunsetting. It's, it was a cocoon and now it's a butterfly. 
yeah. SCT women. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I'm when I look back at my time at CT, I will be super pleased with the growth of hermeneutics. And I don't attribute that to my like self-leadership. It's really it was really about starting a conversation, gathering more women writers and, and giving them a chance to write for the print magazine. I think that was really that's really key to understanding hermeneutic success is that a lot of those writers ended up having a larger platform to the broader church and not just staying in their late lady silo, their lady cocoon. Give us those two other stories. That yes. My first, <laughs> Rich has heard me talk about this so many times that he's probably totally sick of it. I think I've sent it to him on Twitter like three times. Oh, that's right. Yeah. My first editorial this ever. This got you the job, right? No, it didn't give me the job, but... Wait, what, what What was your position when you wrote this? Assistant editor. You wrote this editorial as an assistant editor? Does that happen anymore? Is that a thing? I don't know. As an assistant editor, have, no. Not that I know. Yeah, I don't think Y'all that's have a to thing. figure it out. Okay. That was like magic, basically, that happened. <laughs> so just as a little background for our listeners, back in 2008, we still do this, but it's not as formal. Um, our editorial page, the topic... And the writing is composed by a group of people. It's it's usually senior editors get together once a month, decide what what do we need to weigh in on? What's the main issue or topic that we need to weigh in on in any given month? I don't know why I was invited as an assistant editor. Normally it's reserved for, but we used to go out to breakfast. We used to go out to breakfast oh every gosh. month. To Red Apple. Often Red Apple. Sometimes to other restaurants with the word egg, some kind of egg pun in them. Yeah. And I pitched this article on why evangelicals need to stop hating Hillary Clinton and bashing Hillary Clinton. What, what year was that? 2008. <laughs> and they greenlit it. And of course, other editors finessed it. And, but what was interesting is that at that time, we didn't have signed editorials. It was just... CT's official stance on whatever. So Jim Wallace liked it. I guess that's no surprise. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> the one person who liked it was Jim Wallace. I read it recently and I thought, well, this is still relevant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's amazing. Like you wouldn't expect at that time for that piece to be an evergreen. Right. Type you piece. would think that, oh, it's only going to be super timely for the next few months. It yeah. could even be relevant for the next eight years. So one of the things that I wanted to mention is that I sort of watched CT from afar mm -hmm. several years uh, before I came here, you know, sort of starting at college age, like is when I became sentient and aware of CT. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember being really cognizant of CT's editorials as like really well-written, like, this is the unarguable opinion of evangelicals, and just thinking that it was like, like, I would dream of writing those things, right? Like, I would just sit around going, one day, maybe I can write one of those. Really? And it's just, isn't that weird? I'm, I guess I'm kind of a weird that way, but it's just funny to me that maybe around 2008, I would have been in seminary and still wouldn't, it wouldn't have been on my mm. radar that that would have been mm -hmm. a possibility. Yeah. And you're writing it for this month, aren't you? Uh, yeah. yeah. My second one. It's really funny because I had a very similar experience in college with Christianity Today editorials. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I remember printing a couple off as being like, this is the premier Christian opinion on yeah. this given topic. Yeah. Like, this is a model mm -hmm. of Christian cultural engagement. Right. What 
purpose do you think those editorials serve? What is the thing that those editorials give us? Because they're, they're called something spectacular, which is where we stand. That's a crazy thing to call a section in a magazine because it like leaves you no wiggle room in terms of like institutionally. No, you said this. And you stamped it with where you stand, where we stand. And going through the editorial process of that, I understand now, mm-hmm. it does. There's a lot tied to that. Like you can't just blurt out anything and let that be the thing. Yeah. So I think they're they're significant because you know we talk about we use different metaphors in house. Are we planting a flag in a field? Are we? There's the contrast between drawing lines and planting flags, right? Yeah, but I I feel like it's the clearest most overt way that we lead our readers we are saying not just where we stand because the we is not just the editors it's actually evangelical right it's it's a way of speaking for in some ways we're speaking for yeah and you know everything that we publish we hope to shape the way that our readers think about the world but this is where we get to define evangelical thought, life, and mission in such a direct way, which is why getting to write the editorial in 2008 was really significant, because who is this 24-year-old upstart who let the phrase hobbly lobby get printed in the magazine? Did that really happen? Yep, we're going to talk about that. That's amazing. It's interesting, though, for your editorial, and the question is, if you're saying things that your readers already believe, how is that interesting? But I think what the one thing that makes it interesting is that you're saying... We believe this, but at this current moment, we're not practicing it. Mm. We're not actually applying it to yeah. our lives. So the, the Hillary editorial is a great example of that. Yeah, it's it's kind of reminding readers what they already believe. And it's, it's helping your readers be the best of what you know they can be. Sure. Or kind of reminding them like the ways that they've been politically co-opted in either direction or they've let something else other than evangelical identity shape their behavior. It does seem like it's a, a alignment between values and potentially current events or more current events mm-hmm. and trying to say, like, let's contextualize it for a second. Yeah. As opposed to just a timeless truth, right? It's not a right, meditation right. about the value yeah. of civility. So my my third article that I wanted to talk about was a package that appeared in print last summer, which was on gender dysphoria and transgender issues. The first essay was from um, psychologist Mark Yarhouse, who we have had on Quick to Listen to speak specifically about uh, the bathroom bills, so-called bathroom bills. And then a personal essay from a woman named Margaret Philbrick relating to her transgender sister, formerly rather now identifies as her sister. And the reason I bring that up is not only because the timing of it just happened to work really well. This was around the time of Caitlyn Jenner's kind of rise to fame and launch of her a reality TV show about transgender vanity fair issues. But but just I think this package will serve the church for many, many more years to come. So it's kind of both very timely and also timeless. Can you take us back, Caitlin, to how this article got written and and kind of, you know, this was a significant package. So how far back did you have to work and so forth? Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges of the print managing editor role is that you do have to work several months in advance. So, for example, right now, we're already some editors and I are already talking about we we talked earlier this week about what could be the March mm-hmm. cover story, the March 2017 cover story. We're closing the November 2016 issue. So we had received the manuscript from Margaret Philbrick about 
her relationship with her sister. And I also knew that Mark Yarhouse was releasing this book with InterVarsity Press about gender dysphoria. So I saw a package there and that each article served different purposes. You know, Mark's piece is very academic and based in research and client client interviews and kind of here's what you need to know from an academic or theological perspective. But I think with this issue and with many other issues, it's really important to have kind of the first person experience that shows you what our ideas look like lived out in relationship with other people. And Margaret's piece did that really well. So, and we actually have a package coming up that strikes a similar note on addiction. We have a personal essay from someone who became addicted to painkillers. And then we have a a more academic theological essay about the nature of addiction. So I think that's something the CT does really well. And I'm really proud that the transgender package happened under my tenure, as they say. And that's something you have to be super cognizant of as print managing editor, right? You're not just kind of like creating a content mill. You're putting together an actual deliverable that people pay for and receive in the mm-hmm. mail, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of figuring out the selection of genres of writing that you'll be including on particular topics. Are you constantly thinking of like, well, I want to talk about this topic, but we need a reported piece on it. Or I want to talk about the topic, but we need a first person narrative. Yeah. Genre is really a really important consideration. Even, you know, working on this Ann Voskamp profile, For a while, I thought, should this just be a straight interview with her? Because she's super interesting to listen to, very articulate, speaks in complete sentences, which is not true of all our interview subjects. But I ultimately decided to go with a profile genre because it allowed me to draw in what other people have said about her and to put her in a even a geographical context to really understand what she's about. But yeah, that's a constant conversation that I'm having with other editors. Should we report on this first? Should we have someone write an op-ed on this? And it really depends on the topic and the timing in terms of how best to approach it. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. The thing I've noticed in the last year that I've been here is that the sort of cover packages that CT does tend to have, they have a weird timing, like in a good way, like they come out in moments, in cultural moments where those things are like in the air mm-hmm. in ways that couldn't have been predicted at the time you're planning the issue. So the gender dysphoria cover is a great example. It came out just as the Caitlyn Jenner stuff was picking up in a way that could not have been, like no one ever conceived that that subject would become such a flashpoint. I think the reality is that you knew it if you were listening well enough. So I think one of our jobs as editors is to, the metaphor that comes to mind is to have your antenna up to cultural issues and cultural trends in ways that probably your average reader or average Christian doesn't have. So you're, you're looking at conversations on Twitter or you're looking at trends across news cycles and you're saying, wow, this this topic has come up 
starting to come up a lot and we haven't reported on it before. We haven't covered it in a long time. So in April, we did the cover story on civil disobedience, which happened to tie into bigger conversations in the country about racial injustice and religious freedom issues. Those were already things that had been in the air, but our job was to really condense the moisture in the air yeah. and create a trickle of helpful biblical information. How did you learn, Caitlin, to kind of tune your antenna and pick out what's in the air? Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, the way that any CT editor would have answered that is just read all the time. Like, we, there was a year or two where all the editors would spend an hour at the beginning of every day just reading the news wow. cycle. That's not what happens anymore. This was more or less pre Twitter. It was pre-Facebook newsfeed, and okay. we were using Delicious, mm-hmm. which was a tagging, <laughs> what would you call it? It's a place you can save hyperlinks on. I used it for the newsfeed yeah. for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Like a bookmarking. Yes. It was a bookmarking app, basically. Yeah. And I don't know if other editors did this, but I always, I always had a competition going with other editors to find the articles to tag first before anybody else did. I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, it worked well. So there was a system in place. There was a system in place. But also, I think reading deeply, like that's something that Mark Galley would say and continue to say, is that the best ideas are not going to happen in front of your Twitter feed. Even though the Twitter feed's exciting and fun and we need to be on there, it's not going to be where the brilliant ideas come from. Yeah, it's, it's actually striking to me to hear you say that because that tells me there has been a shift in the way that uh, all of us, when I say all of us, I mean like in the country or world probably, are taking in and thinking through ideas and that it's may, it may be something that not all of us have accounted for in the sort of systemic way we need to, which is to say like you had a system in place when it wasn't a big problem mm-hmm. that enforced deep reading. Mm-hmm. Now that it is a problem... We don't really have that system in mm-hmm. place, you know. We we mm-hmm. definitely encourage it. We definitely talk about it a lot. We definitely try personally, individually, to try and deep read as much as possible. I mean, we read we read a book together called Reclaiming Conversation, and then we literally talked to each other. That was a big step for us. Right. So actually, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, Caitlin. So obviously, people are more addicted than ever to their devices and to the internet, and you were in charge of a magazine. And at the same time as being a digital native. And so I'm wondering about just kind of like, what were some of the temptations of the internet and of the changing news cycle? And how did you figure out how to make the case for the magazine in the middle of that? Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I actually think that CT and every other journalistic enterprise is trying to figure it out. Um, I think the temptation is to look at what's happening online and try to replicate it in a print magazine. So people are all excited about this topic this particular week. Oh, it means we got to put something in the magazine about it. When in fact, the value of the magazine is that it's not that ephemeral, quick and dirty. It's not the hot take. It's like the slow, it's like the slow cooker take. But to get to the slow cooker take, you actually have to work on it a lot longer than you would an online piece. And in some ways you have to be disengaged from what's happening online. And that's, that is a very hard balance because I care about what's going on on the internet. I want to know what everybody's all up in arms about on Twitter, but it's also necessary to create space and to create, I think, internal conversations with editors where we can all brainstorm the deep dive pieces that are really best debuted in print Mm -hmm. and what, what print does best. Did you have personal guidelines or 
rules for yourself that kept you from always going towards the ephemeral? Well, I don't have my work email on my phone, which doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Yeah, but that is, that is definitely a big deal. I don't have Slack on my phone. Impressive. Here's the thing. I also sit, tell people that I don't have Facebook or Twitter on my phone. <laughs> what that means is that I do not have the app on my phone. Right. We hear you. We hear you. But I just go to the browser. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like click in. Yes. So I've tried. My wife did that the other day. She was like, I'm taking Facebook off my phone. <laughs> and I was like, that's great. And then and then I heard her tell a friend within earshot. I just I just go to the browser and use it. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" She had been well, you always about. hope that the experience on the browser is yes. bad enough that you you're gonna not. Yeah, yeah. Actually... it's a deterrent. But then you get really desperate and you end up spending more time trying to do the same stuff. Yeah. Okay. As we wrap this conversation, let's hear about hobbly lobbly. <laughs> hobbly lobbly. Was it hobbly lobbly or hobbly wo- hobbly lobbly? <laughs> it was actually hobbly wobbly. <laughs> So early on in my role of copy editor, you know, you probably read like 40 or 50,000 words any given issue. You're reviewing that much content. And you don't read an article just once, right? You read it. How many you read times? it at least three times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, at the kind of at the end of this editorial cycle, we had a little news blurb about something related to hobby. I almost said hobbly. <laughs> Hobby Lobby. And as you do as the copy editor, as soon as you get the print issue, as soon as it comes in the mailbox, you look through it to see, like, how does everything look? Did I miss anything? And it was printed Hobbly Lobby. And (laughs) the reactions of the two senior editors at the time were very telling. So David Naff, who was the editor in chief at the time, was he was a grammar perfectionist. And I learned a lot. I learned almost everything I like. His lectures about grammar are still lodged into my brain. Um, And deposited into mine. Yeah. Richard, thanks you, David. No, I don't. Anyway, (laughs) I showed it to him and he just like shook his head and sighed. And then I showed it to Mark and he just laughed. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like pretty much what you need to know about Mark and David. Another faux pas is that we ran a print issue in the summer of 2009 that didn't have the date on the cover. And I think we, it was a, it was a riff on the famous time magazine cover. Is is God dead? Question mark from like 1963. And our cover said, God's not dead period. It had a black background and there was something about the black, the date was actually there, but it was like underneath. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, or it was like underneath the black background. How did you learn of that error? Did someone inform you or did you just notice it? When oh, as it soon up? as we got the print issue, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's, there's no date. <laughs> What's the, what is that feeling like when you have a print issue in your hand and you see the worst typo or mistake? Oh, we also, uh, I was speaking at a university in 2013. I get a call from Mark in the middle of the day. He knows I'm in California. I'm like, oh, uh, what's going on? This is unusual. He called to inform me that I needed to inform one of our writers that a full page of his article just was overlaid with an ad. So you're reading along and page four is just missing and it skips from page three to page five. Wow. So I had to call the writer and tell him. Thankfully, he's a So like a and fifth of the article was just gone. Not there. 
and not the last part. So you can, you can be like... <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. I remember one of Rich's first faux pas. Oh, no. What was this? <laughs> it was when you came to interview for the job and you stepped into my office and you, like, stumbled over my lamp and almost ran into the wall. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world is this happening? Was, the only thing worse is that he was super awkward about it when it ended, right? <laughs> I'll never forget the conversation that we had. I'm scared about what you're going to say. It was whether to cover some book. Of and course. Then, no, whether to cover Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> what a dumb question. Whether to, and I was just like, why wouldn't you? That was my response. Everybody's talking about it, which right, is, of course, right. a very CT response to a question like that. <laughs> He's being sarcastic. Um, the, I don't remember that. I just remember you almost falling into the wall. Yeah, I definitely did that. Were you nervous? I did that in everyone's office. <laughs> Everyone had weirdly placed furniture. That's Are you what, sure that's you don't have vertigo? <laughs> I'm not the one who's created an office building that constantly spins. All right. Caitlin, this is sad that you're leaving. Well... I will, I will honestly say that recording Quick to Listen has been one of the highlights of my week for the past few months, even though I'm always stressed out running around like, what are we going to talk about? Who, somebody yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't seem like you enjoy it that much. But the actual recording <laughs> of it has been... I'm only involved in the front end, so that's all yeah. I see. Yeah. But by the time we get to the end, I'm like, that was a really good conversation. That will be very valuable to a lot of our listeners. We're, and we're able to spotlight people who off like off the cuff that would take months to get into the print magazine. Will you continue to listen to Quick to Listen? Or you will you listen? Because you probably don't listen to it now. I mean, here's the truth. I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to say, oh, I would have said that differently. Or, oh, I would have done it differently. I mean, that's, that is my fallen, sinful human nature It's going to be like Amy Sherman Palladino who watched one episode of Gilmore Girls that she didn't write and was like, can't do that anymore. <laughs> Great pop culture reference. Okay, Thanks. let's do our last precious moments. All right, who wants to go first with something that's making them happy this week? Richard, I think I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to say my two things. I'm going to say the lame one first. My son, because... Because <laughs> <God>. be <laughs> he's really fun and I enjoy him a lot. Um, my other one, <laughs> and my wife, of course. And my whole family, my mom, thanks. Shout out to my mom. Uh, this I don't get to do this very often, guys. I got to go down the list. Yeah. All right. The other one is a video game called Overwatch, which I've been playing like crazy. It is, is PlayStation. Yeah. It is giving me life right now. And I, you already got Caitlin, right, to play with you? She's yeah, I'm trying buy to get PS4? Caitlin, now that she has a little more time, to uh, get her involved. Because it's a, it's a really fun game. I've been, it's, it's a game that's um, made my summer a lot better. Now that summer's over, it's just like a nice hobby. What's it's, the premise? It's um, two teams of six trying to like do a cooperative thing against another team of six. And you strategize and you play different roles and you help one another. And it's a it's a very feel good game in my opinion, even though there's shooting involved. Um, you're not always shooting. Sometimes you play like a so support a, character and you help other people. It's a group first person shooter game. It's a group cooperative strategic point capturing game. Okay. Let's put it that way. And huh. there's there's shooting involved. Shooting okay. is kind of besides the point. You can find me online at, at the Richard Clark. Okay, my precious moment is yes, of course, I'm going to miss all y'all. Um, 
one of the best things about working at CT is truly you get to work with really smart people who love Jesus. I always feel I've learned so much just by absorbing other people's knowledge and insights. So I really am going to miss that. That said, <laughs> I am really looking forward to having time to like go on long runs, make a meal, like cook a meal, clean my apartment. <laughs> it makes it sound like I live in this disarray. Like, and, and like, just and read. live a balanced life like just read like i'm just gonna read a book for fun you know i'm really looking forward to those things yeah my precious moment is the anticipation of future rest and i will still be on social media however and you can find me on twitter at caitlin Beatty and at caitlinbeatty.com awesome what's your precious moment i ran what eight or nine miles on sunday then i went to circus class on monday then i ran I don't know, a bunch of speed workout stuff yesterday. Then I went to circus class again that night. And I was so exhausted. And I also felt like really happy that I was like mm. pushing myself athletically and physically. Are you, are you training for a marathon? I'm training for a marathon. Oh, my word. That's awesome. You go to circus class. I do go to circus class. Are you training to be in a circus? No. I would have to quit my job to do that. But I am training to get have my own routine we can't perform at our gym right now okay our gym is actually an old church they just bought it anyway thank you everyone for chiming in thank you everyone for listening caitlin any last words or shall i go to the credits y'all are in good hands i feel like i've heard a lot in the past couple of weeks of like what is he gonna do without you <laughs> this is so sad wow, way to end. way to belittle your contribution to the magazine well no, I, of course, yes, of course, my talents and gifts played a significant role in CT for the past 10 years, but there are so many other talented, amazing people out there who I'm confident will end up at CT. Can I share a personal faux pas? Yeah. It has to do with you, so don't worry. I'm not just hijacking this. I'm really bad at interviews, apparently, because I was, um, well, it wasn't an interview. Yeah, it might have been an interview. I was talking to Mark before I got this job, and he was talking about you starting to work on the magazine at a certain point in time. And I said, I remember being aware of CT, but not really caring about it that much. I would see it in the newsstand and be like, yeah, CT, cool. And then one day I just started caring about it. And Mark said, yeah, well, the time that you didn't care about was when I was the managing editor. <laughs> but anyway, I was like, no. Yeah. So funny. I think that speaks to the sense in which CT, you made it feel really urgent and relevant, at least to me and to people I know. So that's good. Well done, Caitlin. Thanks. Thanks, for everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. The show is produced by Richard, the guy that you heard saying interesting things all episode, and Cray Allred. Special thanks to Kate Shelnut. The show is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Overcast. And if you like it, please go back and rate and review us on iTunes, even if you get your podcast elsewhere. We will see you all next week. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms. CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com/equip.